0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Grumpy Surfer podcast. I'm your host, Ads Lyson. On the podcast today, I have a British surfing icon, but before that, a couple of things if I may. Could you awesome people please take two minutes to subscribe or follow on your podcast provider and leave me a comment at the end? I'd be eternally grateful if you did. The Grumpy Surfer is in collaboration with Northcore Surf Gear. If you go to Northcore Europe on the Tinterweb and use the code capital letters grumpy surfer10, you'll receive 10% off your purchase. Okay, on the podcast today, I have a former Cornish, English, and European surfing champion. My guest started surfing during surfing's infancy in the United Kingdom and travelled Europe, Africa, or pretty much all over the world during the golden age of surfing in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. I love conversations like this, talking and listening about surf travel and legacy surfing competitions. So, please enjoy a grumpy surfer conversation with an absolute British surfing legend, Jed Stone. Jed Stone, welcome to the Grumpy Surfer podcast. How are you doing?
1: I'm good. I'm good. Um, I'm- fit almost i've just told you about my rotor cuff, but um yeah, yeah I'm, I'm still in there a
0: few questions to start with them. where are you what have you done today and have you surfed today
1: i haven't surfed today um i should have gone in yesterday i looked at it um but it started raining <laughs> i didn't want to get my hair wet so um i had a few other things uh, i had plans so um uh today Basically, I've been doing a bit of artwork, and because um, I'm, I'm kind of like semi-retired now, um, I'm supposed to be working three days a week. But with this furlough thing, um, it's only one day a week, so I'm getting a lot of time off. So I can pick and choose, you know, what I want to do, and I can pick good days. And nowadays, I don't go in so much when it's um, not quite good. It, you know, when I was competing. I would go in every every day I could, whether it was one, two foot on shore or six foot perfection. I would always always go in because it kept my fitness levels up. Um, now my fitness levels are sort of coming down a bit, but you know I can still handle myself.
0: Yeah, are you uh, you still living in Cornwall?
1: Yes, I live uh, just outside. Well, kind of Nuki, but it is Nuki now because Nukie's actually expanding, but. Originally, it's just down from a little village called Trent Creek, but that is now being all sort of encapsulated in the big sort of expansion of Newquay.
0: Okay, so where's your where's your local break then?
1: Local break is anywhere really. That's that's working. Uh, you know, we've got we're lucky. We've got choices because of tide times, wind directions, size of swells. We've got protection from bigger swells. So I literally look at, you know, what there is coming through and tide times, wind conditions and obviously size as well. But my local, local places are actually is Fistral. I love Fistral um, and uh, other places around, you know, Watergate, et cetera. That's local wise.
0: Yeah, I used, to, I used to surf around the Nukia quite a lot, probably about... 15, 15 years ago, and uh, it, it's one of those places that um, is one of the only places, I think, where you, in about a 10-15 minute radius, have been able to go from a north-facing beach to a west-facing beach to some other little secret spots that work too, which is kind of cool and very unique, if I'm, if I'm honest, for a coastline like that.
1: We're, we're pretty lucky. I mean, it's one of the reasons why I stepped into here. Um, going back into the 70s we looked at other places in in Cornwall um, but we just got drawn to Newquay because the work was in Newquay and and didn't really want to come to Newquay but I'm glad I did because um, there's a real good community you know a surfing community here and over the years we all got to know each other and um, it's um, I know they advertise it as the surfing macro, but um, there's a local crew which are always there sort of thing.
0: Yeah, why do you think um, Nuki is over the years, or especially over the last 20 years since, you know, surfing has become a prominent sort of feature in this country, I guess from like films like Blue Juice and... And other things like that where it's seen as, you know, Nuki or that area of Cornwall is like the the main place where people come down for like stag do's in the UK or something. Why do you think that is?
1: I mean, that that changed. um, If you go back to the 70s, there was more discovering. Uh, We used to travel a lot more. Um, You used to purposely put your surfboards on top of your car so you would show it, somebody else that you were a surfer and uh, we, I've met so many friends who are still good friends in the surfing world to this day by doing that by traveling Cornwall, Devon places like that we would find fine breaks um, and you'd go to some breaks where you would wait for other people to turn up to go in you know certain you know reef breaks etc and you would just sit there and talk to each other and they would be from Senan or, or uh, St. Agnes or uh, from you know, Croyd or wherever. And back in them days, you would go to these places and there would be nobody out. You'd sit there watching perfect, you know, four to six foot barrels and nobody out. And you'd be talking to each other, kind of encouraging each other to, well, that doesn't look that big. We can manage that sort of thing. And then you'd be out there, you know, three or four of you. And then the next time you might see them would be a a beach break, you know, on the South Coast or something like that. And uh, that's how, you know, it was in them days. Uh, Then the competition side of things came on the scene back in probably the late 70s and then the early 80s. And and it was, well, I tell you, if you go to a party back in the early 70s I would be there going oh man have you tried surfing you need to try, if I was up in Plymouth or somewhere and, and these other you know, mates of mine would be going well, what, are you, what are you doing sort of thing, we don't get surf over here and I said honestly you want to try it, you want to try it, so we're, we're kind of like our worst enemies because we really publicised it and pushed it and in the, in the when the competitions come along then obviously it went more mainstream and, and it got out to so many poor people now, um, you but I can't blame them because surfing is is wonderful. You know, it's healthy. You know, it, it, you can have a good lifestyle from it. You know, it mentally, it does everything. Every, when every, you go for a surf, every muscle in your body is used. And if it's big, the old mental side of it has to come into it as well.
0: Yeah, I, I've said this on quite a lot of podcasts, uh... But I gotta say it again, mental health is, is massive these days. Um yeah. and you know, having an escapism like surfing, I use it for that too. Even when it is rubbish or, you know, I I might go in the water and you must have had those days as well where it's absolutely pumping and you go out there and you cannot do one thing right and and you see everybody else catching these awesome waves and you're like but <laughs> Even when you're out there, you're still escaping, you know, whatever's troubling you because you're focusing on something else. And just having that for, you know, two three hours a, um, you know, a week can almost, you know, sort your mentality out, can't it?
1: It, it definitely. Um, you know, everyone has uh, p- periods in their life, and um, it, it you can go out in the surf, and it might still be there in the back background, but you lose you lose the harshness of it and you, you you're you concentrating on what's around you. You could be talking to your um, mates in the water, and the the conversation will be about something else, and it it sort of chills out. And whenever you come in after a surf, you always have that good feeling. Even if you've had a bad session, you might have just had one wave where you've done one thing. And that's what you should remember. Not all the times you fell off or the times you dropped, were dropped in on or, you know, you leash snapped or whatever. Um, try and remember those good good times, you know, the good wave. And that get that gets you then through that day and the next day or whatever.
0: Yeah, I think that comes with age as well, though, doesn't it? When you're younger, you're like that. You're just trying to froth and get everything out. And you come out, you're like smashing stuff. And you're like, Aah! But now you-
1: Like, I, I'm lucky, or guys of my age lucky. We keep saying it, because we surfed it, you know, back in, there's guys older than you surfed in the 60s and, and the 70s. That's when I started surfing in 72. And um, in them days, it wasn't really what you did on the wave. You just rode the wave and the feeling of riding a wave. And I always remember saying, "You probably still do it now." You know, you, oh, you had the wave of the day. It didn't matter what you did on that wave. If you took off on the biggest and the longest wave, and you just went all the way through, that you were the you were the guy. You know, you caught the wave of the day. And um, nowadays, people think you've got to perform all the time. Um, if you're competitive, so I think yeah, you do. Um, but. Uh, it there, there's this you know there, there are a school of thought that where you have one of the older type boards and, and just sort of mellow chill do cutbacks I'm, I'm seeing more of that as well they you know they don't want to be a com- competition surfer they want to enjoy surfing for what it for what it is on that side of things so yeah it, it's, it's there for everyone
0: i think over the last probably five years definitely that um the more retro style of surfing has come back because you know i I know where you're coming from with that where you know you're going out on a session and everybody's kind of like well i need to do this and that and then you kind of get upset with yourself because you haven't done certain things and you know i've been guilty of that where especially when you watch yourself back as well um you know technique and and um You know watching the pros in social media and all these edits that come out everybody's so critical these days and they've i think they've kind of lost the point of what kind of surfing the stoke of surfing is is you know being out in the ocean and actually having fun and enjoying yourself not trying to like punch the back out of a wave well that's okay if you can do that but if you try and do it and don't do it you're going to ruin your session because you're not enjoying yourself
1: yeah um from like a competitive point of view if you you know go out and you catch a really good wave and you smash it to pieces you still get that feel. you still get that stoke because you've performed hack and you in your head you've done it's it's all there it's worked out good um but then you can go out on another day and similar conditions and kind of not bother so much just just Ride the wave for what it is and, and feel you know you're in the water. You know, we've had dolphins in the water, you know, or your, your friends are there and you're just having a good time. You don't have to perform like that, but they'll, they'll, they'll still get that feeling and stoked as somebody who would just go out on, um, uh, you know, a, a foamy pop out and catch and just go along the wave in a, in a straight line. They'll, they'll similar. But different levels. That's what all it is. But they are still getting the same stoke.
0: Yeah, yeah, hundred percent agree. Um, let's go back a little bit. So, uh, where where did you uh, where did you grow up uh, initially?
1: Um, I kind of I was born in Malta because uh, my father was a marine, Royal uh, Marine, and uh, we lived in Malta for a few years when I was first first few years. Then we came back to the UK. Then we went back to Malta, they were the best sort of childhood days because living in a a hot country, you only went to school in the mornings and then you were down the beach all the time. Didn't know about surfing in those days, which I had because Malta gets surfed as well. Um, And then come back to the UK again, um, Singapore, places like that. So we travelled all the way through my life. Then I joined the Navy myself and uh, again traveled and met leslie and then needed to settle down and need to get out of the navy and, and uh, go traveling which is kind of what we've done we've ended up living in newton
0: yeah uh, how did you find being in the navy what you were in the navy what the late 60s early 70s uh 70s
1: early early 70s, early 70s. kind of yeah i came out in 76 okay um we got married in 76 um i started surfing uh, late 72 um and i i was lucky i i was on uh H&S salisbury which is no longer around It was a little frigate and we uh, had 18 months refit so i was that was in plymouth so it was great i could go to like you know certain breaks on the south coast, which I won't name. Um, and then, you yeah, know, obviously head down to Newquay and places like that. Um, in the, in, sometimes in the evening, you know, in the summer, you'd finish at sort of like half four, straight in the car, down with uh, some mates who were on Uralis, and we'd go for a, a surf, wherever, wherever it was. Um, but then after refit, we did a, a what they call fly the flag. Show the flag off. So we sailed all the way down. We were a lone ship. We sailed down the uh, west coast of Africa, right the way around the Cape, up into um, through Madagascar Straits, etc. We went to, um, it was called Ceylon in those days, Maldives, um, Diego Garcia, uh, Mauritius, and guess who had his surfboard with him? I was lucky I had to get special permission to take the surfboard on board and uh, wherever we went um, I would request uh, permission to go surfing and uh, my captain and Jimmy the the second in in command thought it was a good way of showing the navy um, because I would go if we were in port somewhere we would hire a car or a mini-moke or something like that and we drive like 100 miles up the coast and find surf breaks that I kind of knew about or just go out there and we just used to show people photographs of waves and just say, do you know anywhere that has this sort of thing? And they'd say, oh, try that place and we'd drive like 100 miles and try and find that place. And We we, we scored lucky a lot of the times. So you think this is back in seventy four. I got surf um like hikidua in in um salon which is now sri lanka i was the only surfer there on at that that time i'd got a little black and white photograph in in the black and white surf magazine that was around here it was called surf and it was just like a little photograph at the top and it said hikidua if ever you're in salon visit this place so as soon as I saw uh, <laughs> Ceylon was on the list, that was like, "Wow, oh, I've got to get special lead to get down there." And we went down there for a week. And we had a good time. Good time.
0: Where, whereabouts did you surf uh, in Ceylon or Sri Lanka? Uh, Hikkaduwa. Hikkaduwa. Yeah,
1: okay. Hikkaduwa.
0: That's uh, um, what the the south southwest coast is that
1: right? Uh, it is right down the bottom bottom end. We we just got off in Colombo, I think it's Colombo we went to, sailed in there um, we hired a, a Morris Thousand uh, <laughs> this guy uh, a taxi driver, he had a Morris Thousand I put my surfboard on the top and we said "Hiki do well. we had no idea where he was going to take us and he drove us all the way down there and then we said to him um, can you come back in a, a week's time and he said uh, yeah, yeah, and there he was on the dot a week's time waiting for us took us all the way back again
0: what was your first thoughts when you went down to the beach and had a look out to the setup down there it must have been pretty epic right
1: uh well it was only small small ways when i was there and uh i got freaked out because i was out in the water on my own and then this big black thing went underneath me and uh i was like oh my god (laughs) rushed to the beach as you did that happened seven
0: times yeah i think i've only ever had one experience like that where it proper freaked me out and i was at south Fistral, and the seal went underneath me It was the first time i'd ever experienced something like that and pretty much had to change my wetsuit that's how bad it was
1: uh well there were, i think there's two two episodes where it was i was out at a place called malindi in kenya and uh, again i was the only one out there and it's this big, long, sweeping beach. Beach goes for miles, it does. And it was early morning. It was perfect, probably about three to four foot. And I'm out there, I'm sad. I've been out there for a while. I was just thinking about, oh, go in and get some breakfast. And uh, there, there was, you know where the water's like oil? It's glassy as. And then all of a sudden this, about 15, 20 foot away from me, this bin come out, slid over the top. And I went back down again. And I, I've never paddled so fast in my life to get to the beach. And, and it's always the way, there's no waves coming through. I, I, motored, I motored into the beach, stood on the sand, breath, all breathless, just looked back, and there's no sign of anything. And it was like, was it or wasn't it? You don't, you don't know. So, uh, yeah, then I went and I'd breakfast. <laughs>
0: It's probably a good shark, to be honest. I had a couple of friends that did the trip down to South Africa and they um, they, uh, they went out of this one break, That I think I remember the story goes, and uh, they were just paddling out, there's three of them, and uh, these two two local lads were paddling back and they are like, no, don't go out there, there's like a 10 foot shark, probably a great white out there, and they were like, turn around, they went straight back into the beach again, I don't think they went back out for a couple of days.
1: Well, honestly, the South African surfers, they, they have that all the time. And to them, you know, they've obviously got scents in the water. But, um, it, you know, I've, some, some of my friends from over there told me about situations. And you think, you know, they go, we paddle out into our water and there's pretty much, other than weaver fish, maybe if you stand on them, uh, you're pretty much safe out there. There's no, nothing really that ever worries you. You know, you might get the sea lion come along, but most of the time they're just inquisitive and they look at you. Um, but we're quite lucky in that respect. A lot of the places you warmer climates, you do, you, you, you have to keep your senses around you because, you know, you're, you're in their environment and, um, you know, to, to some of them, you might be just inquisitive. They might think you're food or whatever, you know. So I always look at the fish in the water jumping. If you're out somewhere and small fish are jumping out around you, that means there's a slightly bigger fish jumping out, going after them. If you see slightly bigger fish jumping, then you start thinking, well, there's something bigger chasing them. That's kind of what I look look out for.
0: You kind of brought a little memory up in my head when you were talking about. That. About five years ago, I did a boat trip out into the uh, to the Maldives, and one morning we were just sat in the lineup, and uh, there was a load of. Um, I don't know what fish they are Like let's call them reef fish We're on the top and they started yeah. sort of like coming out the top and then probably about two or three minutes later because you can see obviously the the reef and stuff because it's crystal clear water there clear, yeah yeah there, there was a couple of black tip reef sharks just uh swimming about you know probably about four or five foot long and I was like "Well, oh, yeah. a lot I could do here because the boat was miles away I was miles away yeah. from the shore it was just like, let's just accept it
1: well they're they're more interested in the fish probably that's that, Maldives. Um it, if it was one place I would love to go back to, it would be the Maldives. It's just it's the, the only time I've been on a trip where you arrive and you don't have to drive anywhere. You you're boat out to your island, you walk to the surf break from your little lodge or wherever it is. Or, or you walk down to the harbour, get on a boat, and they sail you off to another surf break. And the temperature of the water, the fish, we uh, never seen so many coloured colours and things, just snorkelling just off where the drop-off zone is on the reef. Snorkelling, and oh, me and Leslie were just laying there in the water with our snorkel mask on, and we saw everything from a grouper to the... Reef sharks and uh, the uh, manta rays swimming past us, and we're just like gobsmacked.
0: Did you see any barracudas there?
1: Oh, uh, Leslie, <laughs> we're in uh, uh, Puerto, uh, Puerto Rico. Yeah, Puerto Rico. Yeah, Puerto Rico. That yeah, not Costa Rica, Puerto Rico. And we were just uh, snorkeling, and uh, and Leslie it's like holding my hand and she's like tugging me and she's pointing to this fish. And I looked and it's a barracuda and it's literally just sat there staring straight at her about four foot away. And I'm like pulling her, pulling her. And what it was is she was wearing a, like a a pendant, which was like sparkling in in the water. And (laughs) and I'm going and I managed to say to her, look, get out of the water. Move away, there, and then we talked about it. And I said that was a barracuda, and I said it was interested in you. I said,
0: So, uh, yeah, they're, they're vicious looking creatures, aren't they?
1: They are, yeah. It, yeah this yeah. was just a wasn't in a shoal either. Normally, you'll you see them in a shoal. This is just like one lone yeah. one sort of The
0: only thing. reason why I say that is that you're talking about where the reefs are and they drop off. Where well, one day I was kind of surfed out a little bit, so I went back to like the, the um the outrigger boat. um That they had that was just uh, moored up outside the break that we were at and uh, I did a bit of snorkeling and uh, it's quite I this is gonna sound really weird I don't like deep water Um, it it, like really freaks me out so snorkeling around with the reef break where it's sort of you know four five six foot deep and then it drops off. I was like, it makes me heart palpitate, and I'm like, I start getting freaked out and a little bit of anxiety. And anyway, when I when I turned around because the boat was um, probably about twenty meters away from like where the edge of the shelf was, I was I was swimming back underneath, and then and I clocked it, and it was underneath the boat. It was just sat underneath the <laughs> boat. And it was it wasn't it wasn't small. It was big, and I was yeah. like. How am i gonna get out of here i was like it's gonna snap on my leg because they're they're a the proper horrible looking creature it's like a it's like a water dragon isn't it yeah it's
1: it's it's teeth look vicious yeah going back but to the reef does, the reef does drop off doesn't it, it yeah it's there and then it's just like goes down like a deep shelf and you you know yeah.
0: i watched a few documentaries about um uh deep sea divers um what, what do they call it um like sport diving and yeah. going like you know a hundred couple of hundred feet down um on a single breath and i'm like man how do how do they do that? i mean that would freak me out do just seeing anything black and nothing underneath me i don't even know why i'm looking down to the the floors there but yeah. <laughs> it just freaks me out
1: yeah we we used to do our hands to bait <clears throat> excuse me when i was in the navy <clears throat> sorry um we were I just have a thing. It's minty. Yeah, we had. uh, They called Hands De Bay, just off the Cape, South Africa, and uh, uh, we all jumped in. And you don't, you can't see. No land was visible. And they have a guy there with a gun, just in case. But when you jump in the water and you put your head under and you look, you just know there's nothing you know the the depth you've got no idea the depth it just light just goes down it gets darker and darker there was no you couldn't see any fish around we were sort of mid-ocean and your only life it's kind of weird the only lifeline is that that little ladder getting up the side (laughs) of the ship sort of thing (laughs) don't go away
0: (laughs) yeah i've seen some old photos um uh of that sort of thing Being, being in the marines um some people are gonna proper spit feathers at me about this i've been in just over 20 years now and i've never been on a ship once so i've not experienced you know <laughs> a ship stopping in the middle of the ocean and and lads jumping off it but yeah i've seen some old yeah. fights with guys just jumping off and i'm like yeah that i probably wouldn't do it if i'm perfectly honest unless i'd like uh i don't know an sup you know inflatable sups are quite prevalent these days i probably wouldn't have yeah. I, I wouldn't do it if i'm perfectly honest <laughs> no no i going back so you said you started surfing in 1972 when you were still in the in the navy so had obviously surfing wasn't very well, well it wasn't advertised at all so how did you how did you get into that did you just see someone in the water it, and they want to do that no or?
1: it was my um um my brother-in-law um richard he was uh, um he was in the navy. And he lived in Cornwall, so he'd grown up in Cornwall. And um, I used to come down, me and Darby Darby Allen off of Salisbury, we used to play a lot of football. And um, yeah, we were all right. We got to play for a local club down um, uh, outside of order. I can't remember what it was called, even, but they used to actually pay us to play, which was. Sounds good, doesn't it? A tenner. We used to get a tenner. That went a <laughs> long way, tennis. that days. Nice. Well, it paid for the petrol, and we used to enjoy playing, but also we used to come down. But we come down for this match, uh, um, I think it was on the Sunday, we, my brother-in-law on the Friday said, have you tried surfing? Do you want to go go surfing? I'm going to go surfing tomorrow. I said, yeah, yeah, we're up for that. So we went to a place, um, it's called Red River Hail. Um, It's no longer Red River Hale now. It's called Grithian. But in them days, there was a Red River used to run out, and it was all the workings for the dust and stuff, whatever coming from the local mines. And uh, we got down there—a pair of football shorts and a rugby shirt. And he had this; he had one board uh, which he'd made himself. And he took us down there. There was me and Darby, and we basically showed us what to do. And then we went out, and then we were getting so like we just paddled this and jumped up and I stood up and i was just going straight line you know with the white water towards the beach and I'm thinking I like this 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 is fun this and we had that one session and um I got back to uh Salisbury and I just sat there and I thought I've got to do that again okay. and that's when my life changed <laughs> I just had to do it and I, I then really sort of I got down to Sinai's and I went and saw Charlie Williams at his surf shop there the silver surfer and I said you know I want to start surfing what you know what, what do you recommend and he, he pulled this board out for me he said go with this and um, in three or four months bring it back and we'll sort you out something else and exchange that and, and that's how I got going started certain my first sort of local break was Snipes. what with size
0: what size board was it um that you the uh... first
1: first board it was it was what i think you would class as a mini mount nowadays it was probably about eight foot um rounded nose traditional type but a short and long board basically and i i got really on well with that and then I was look, like looking at magazines going and seeing all these guys on short abroad. So I went straight then to a creamed honey, six foot two. And uh, it took me a little while to transition, but I persevered with it and uh, and I just kept going from there.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, it's a big step down going from an eight foot down to a six two.
1: Yeah. But I mean, to be fair, the six twos in... Uh, in like the 70s would would have had more foam volume they were quite you know floatable but there was a lot of experimentation going on with the shapes and you know, the tails and the, the boards and you know concaves. not not concave so much in them days but it was more you know people would start putting channels in them and things like that what was the uh
0: what was the vibe like back back then like 72 76 you know did when when you started to go right i want to start i want to start surfing um was there sort of like a local crew or was there just like one or two people around like the local beaches there you
1: you had like each area had its kind of local crews you know like uh, down the Stenham way you know you you know like harvey hall and colin wilson guys like that and then you'd add like each place would have its local crew. And in those days, we all, tra- all travelled. You know, it was like, it was nothing to drive from here. If the conditions uh, were not quite right, many time I've driven down to, to like Seine and, and St. Agnes and then got across to the south coast and checked the south coast and invariably ended up coming back and surfing Talon you know it was, it was uh that's what you did you just tr- tr- traveled around did you um yeah go on.
0: did you um did you know much about like weather conditions and you know all sort of like the the science of how swells were developed um back in those days because i can't imagine there would have been that much literature out there apart from going to the library and maybe pulling something out from you know um, a um a a skipper's manual or something like that about you know tides and all that sort of thing
1: well um actually we we were quite gendermmed up because um, we used to read the charts uh, a friend of mine um uh was a, he's an oceanographer um paul russell and he's one of he he used to be one of our top surfers as well um he explained charts charts to me and it was looking at um you know the the bbc forecast would used to show you and you'd see the um the patterns and there was a low pressure we would know that if that low pressure was down coming coming up we would kind of work out it'd probably take about two three days for the swell to start to hit and depending on how close it was and how deep it was and uh then if it if it moved and and was generating down towards the south coast, we would know that, you know, at a certain point of time, the wind would change and the swell would be there and it would clean up and and that's how how it would work out. I remember sitting at a certain break, um, which needs a a certain window of swell um, with... um, with uh, friends of mine, Dave Wait, and Anthony Wait, and a guy called Julian Galloway and they studied oceanography as well and they knew exactly when that place was going to work even to the point where you'd be sitting there and it'd be like once two foot and they'd be saying don't worry when the when the tide starts coming in we're going to have four to six foot and you know the number of times they were right and we'd surf that place maybe four or five of us it you know some good friends
0: to have isn't it there
1: yeah these places now um they're they everyone kind of knows about them but um they're still special places
0: yeah you're talking about the secret spots
1: (laughs) Uh, well i won't mention we've got so many good breaks and and with it being so crowded nowadays you know to encourage more people to to go to them it doesn't help you know, if you're if you're a local surfer and you're living and that's your break and you know, you've you're going out there and there's forty guys out, it's it um it tarnishes it a bit. It just doesn't, you know, lead to good vibes in your head and stuff, does it? Whereas if you're surfing it with three or four of your mates, you know.
0: Yeah, that I mean these days that's kind of the dream, isn't it? It's quite difficult, even some of those um some of those more sheltered spots that you um that you know of that you know don't no, you don't think anybody else does, you know even those are still quite crowded because sometimes they're they're just sort of like you know, reef breaks where there's a single point takeoff and it can be quite mm-hmm. difficult when it gets super crowded. You might get like one or two waves in a couple of hours and then you're like, well, you know,
1: yeah, you can. Yeah, I mean, and even you know you can go to festivals sometimes, turn up at the right time and you can be the only one out um so you know cherish that moment i remember sat there with me uh me son andrew um, um there was a, a it's a little spot i won't say it where it is and um, we knew it was going to get busy because everyone knows about it and everyone was talking about it so we just sort of turned up and it was just me and andrew we paddled out it was a perfect sunny day three three foot or so lovely fun waves and um, for about half an hour, we had a ball and then everyone started coming out. But, you know, if you, if you know them people, it then becomes, a, you know, like a vibe in the water, and, you know, sort of um, encouraging everybody else to catch away and stuff. So, yeah,
0: yeah. I had that a couple of weeks ago before, before lockdown when, um, when the start of the uh, Hurricane Epsilon came in. And uh, I went to the, um, a couple of the places up uh, by Ilfracoon and uh well i went i went to lynmouth and it was like i thought it was going to be okay it was really really big and the wind was on it and there were loads of people out there and i sat up on the cliff on the other side just just um just watching it and there was loads of waves but there wasn't that many people catching anything so me and my mate we decided we we drove we drove back towards minehead oh right i thought
1: you were going to go to another place don't mention it no no no
0: no so we we went we went back towards that way and we found this little spot um that i knew and uh we went there and there was three other people out there and every two minutes there was a set that came through there was no wind because it was like away from the cliffs yeah uh, it was blowing like 30 mile an hour winds and we got there and there was no wind and for about an hour we just traded these you know 50 100 meter rides that were coming through really nice yeah. really clean just peeling down and then i think everyone cottoned onto it and the world just descended down there and it was just like but mm-hmm. right, should, should get out because it kind of ruined it because everyone was just dropping in on each other and yeah it pretty ruined it to be honest
1: <laughs> but but that's what i mean you do get that occasion i mean if you go back to the 70s we got that you know we were spoiled we we got that all the time um but um nowadays it's few and far between but just cherish just cherish those moments when you do get them exactly so
0: you um so you came out of the navy in 76 started in 72 um and you and you got married to your wife now leslie um so how did you end up settling down um in cornwall
1: well the first thing we did was i came out in the august um in 76 and i'd gone up london and i bought a split a V-Dub split windscreen um, £300 and um, we got it down down here, me and Leslie converted it into our own little conversion you know, sort of orange bowl for the wash bowl and stuff like that and uh, we had it just how we wanted it and we got on a, f- well, a ferry uh, well, first thing I did was I took it to the uh, V-Dub place in Plymouth and I said, uh, can you give it a service I said, we just bought this um, we're just going to go away on a journey. Um, want to see you know, what you think. So I come back after the service and he says, where are you going? I said, uh, we're going to Morocco. And he goes, he says, I wouldn't drive around that roundabout. He's going, let alone go, take it down to Morocco. But, you know, we were young, didn't care. We said like, well, if it breaks down, we'll leave it there and we'll hitchhike back. You know, that was the kind of attitude you had. And so we... We just went off and we went down uh, France all through the French breaks in September and worked our way down through uh, Portugal, uh, North Spain, down to Portugal, then back in and then down to Algeciras and we went across on the ferry suitor down to um, um, Canitra. We ended up at Canitra. Um, and, um, yeah, so that was, we were there until after, after New Year and then we, we came back, so we were away for about three, three getting up towards school months.
0: I take it your wife surfs as well.
1: Uh, no, no, Not quite. she, yeah, um, she used to like uh, bodyboarding, you know, with the bodyboard. Um, but to be honest, she just she's always just liked being at the beach and sunshine and and uh, and that that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, my uh, my wife she's from um up in New Brighton, um, up Liverpool way. And uh yeah, she I, I took her down to Sorton once and uh I bought um you know the old swell yellow and blue foamies. I got yeah, her on yeah. one of those and uh took her down there in the summer and uh yeah, I think she was more interested in sunbathing on it uh behind the break than she was surfing on it.
1: <laughs> Leslie's always been um good especially when I started surfing contests because she would come down the beach and she would uh judge me so like if I came in she would say you know you should have done that on that wave you know you did alright on that one you know or she would give me um signs like I was in the water in the water and she would give me signs to say like I was I was first second third you know you need to get this going otherwise you're not going to get through on this one sort of thing which kind of like helped help me out on that which was you know was was really helpful
0: what were the um what were the best breaks that you stopped at uh when you were traveling down um in your van during that time so i, I imagine that you were just quite quite desolate really because you know you you had the odd person that that traveled but not many people did trips like that especially from the UK did they really around that time
1: no there was um, well you would turn up at a place and uh, maybe three other vans there there may be a pod of uh, Aussies um, you know you would get a group of uh, one place we went to some boys from Wales um, there was uh, guys from Jersey at all these different places, but, you know, you never turned up anywhere and there was like 20 vans or anything like that. You would, you would find another van and you maybe just, the two of you camped out. Um, you know, one place I always remember is um, what they call Panish now, super tubes and all that. Um, there was a Barra Vista and a bit of Wasteland. And there was like four of us, four vans. I, I'm on my own in our van and then there was a group of about three lads in another van. There was four of us. And we were there for weeks on end. And we used to surf the right-hander by the harbour wall there. And, and, and to get to super tubes, you had to walk along the beach. There's no roads or anything in them days. So we would surf the right-hander in the morning and then just walk along the beach in the afternoon and, and surf super tubes on, you know, maybe four of you out there. Um That or uh, then Balliol Island, if that was um, working, but there's so many places like that all the way down. You you think of all the names of the places you you'd like to go to now, and we would have them to ourselves, you know. Even round Lisbon area, that you know one of the places there, which must be so crowded nowadays. But in them days, there was a small crew of um, them. Sur- local
0: surfers, there probably four or five of them in the water, and that would be busy, you know. Yeah, we went to uh, Panish, what maybe a couple of years ago. It was the first first time I've ever been there. I'd uh, you yeah. know, I've obviously seen the films and the the, the uh, <laughs> the CTs, you know, there pretty much every single year by this year for obvious reasons, yeah. Um, but yeah, you never whenever I go traveling or I've been traveling surfing I never envisage the crowds that are there either um but what what I have noticed is the the locals like to give you hassle when you get there but if you hold your mm-hmm. own and you're just like that because I remember this one uh, it was called santa rita um uh, was was the was the break that uh, the beach that we ended up at and it was like an a frame peak probably about you know three or four foot, really nice, but it was just sort of like one take off place. And uh I yeah. paddled out there uh with with one of my mates and um I took I took a on this wave that came through, absolute cooped it, paddled back out and this guy come up to us and said, You're dangerous, you're dangerous, you get out, you get out, you're dangerous and I was like that. Oh, <laughs> So I paddled off a little bit, gave them a little bit of space and then paddled back around, waited my turn, and then I caught one and all the way back in. They were fine after that. You know, and I think yeah. it's just that if you if you show up and you think they're gonna you're gonna hassle people for waves, you've got the wrong answer, especially when you're abroad and it's not your breaks.
1: No, you do, um it's just respect. You've got to have respect. It's their their break. Um you're an outsider as such. Um mo- them guys are sp- you know, just like ourselves, they just want to have their way, sort of thing. Um, if you come in with a certain attitude, you'll get that attitude back. Um, my philosophy all the way through is of just eat humble pie, you know, you'll they'll either warm you or, or they won't. Um, I've not had I mean, I've had situations, but um, they've never got to a certain point, sort of thing. Um, I always remember once saying, uh, France um, there was a break I turned up at <clears throat> you know all the beach breaks it was uh, super busy really nice waves evening just starting to glass off and I looked along probably like about half a mile or so and I saw a group of about five or six guys out on this really nice looking wave. so I thought I'll go down there so I walked along eventually paddled out I couldn't get away. There's no way they were going to let me get away, not at all. Um, so I just bided my time. Just sat there, and you know they were doing things like paddling in front of me and all that sort of thing. And then another guy came out, and I thought I, I reckon recognize him, and I, and it was uh, uh, John Louis Poubelle, and he was the uh, French champion. And I'd met him previously in uh, Ireland and the Europeans. And, uh, and I goes, John. And he, and he goes, oh, Jed. You know, and we started talking. And everything changed in the water. It's just like, you know, they are, you can have it that way. You know, but it was just, you know, at that time, I knew the right person in the right, right space sort of thing. But, um, but there was no point in getting aggressive with anyone because it just wouldn't get you anywhere.
0: Yeah, and it ruins it for not,
1: yourself as not well. not an aggressive person anyway, so. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. What was it like, um, you know, travelling over from, uh, I take it, did you get the ferry over from Spain or Gibraltar to go over to Algiers? Uh,
1: we got it from Algiers. Okay. Yeah, because I had, when I was in uh, with Salisbury, we were at Gibraltar, and I got the ferry from Gibraltar to Morocco. And that was ta- landed in Tangiers. Okay. And uh, that was the first time I surfed Morocco. But when we went down in the van, me and Leslie, we went over from uh, Algeciras to the Spanish Suta. Okay. And then through uh, then through down into Morocco then.
0: What was that? I mean, that must have been even more desolate than, um, you know, the Basque country and, and around that area, and sort of like the south southwest of uh, Spain down by Sergres, because I can't imagine it was very... Um, there was much inhabitants around that at that time. Uh,
1: the, the, the Morocco, people would turn up at, at a weekend, especially. And, um, I always remember at Canicia, they'd line the harbour, not the harbour, the river, there's a, like a big wall, um, with a lighthouse at the end of it. And they would be stood along there just watching, um, watching us surf. And there was probably about half a dozen of us, some a couple of Aussies, a couple of guys from Wales, and um, we, we were, like, entertainment. Like, look at what these people are doing. And, and now you've got a lot of really good Moroccan um, uh, surfers in themselves. We, I remember selling, we ran out of money when we got down there, and I sold um, one of my boards uh, for, like, hundred and something quid. And that was just to get us back, back to the UK. We we managed to live, we budgeted a pound a day, and that included our petrol, and uh, that's what we lived on. Um, we we went over it once at Christmas, because we went out and bought some meat and things, but most of the time we just lived on veg, and uh, vegetable stews, and eggs, and stuff like that,
0: yeah. Yeah, it's it's good when you when you live like that, isn't it? Did you find it difficult? Was it kind of like you got into a routine with it, like you were doing the military, because you get into routines with that, don't you? Uh,
1: um, it was the second time we went down to, to do the same sort of trip. Uh, it was quite hard. We met some really good friends. We were at Osigore um, uh, um, in France. And uh, in them days, you could park down in the, in the square. And uh, we were sort of like parked. Park down there and these guys turned up and uh, I think it was from Farnborough um but they're good mates of mine now Gary Collins and uh, Pete Collins and uh, their little crew and they were down for like a two-week trip and they had money and they were buying things like Mars bars and sitting there next to us eating these things and we were just like budgeting on you know next to nothing and just like drooling
0: yeah <laughs> sucking on some pebbles from the beach yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, when when did you get into your uh, into your into your competitive days? So, you know, when did you decide that you know surfing was going to be something that you might kind of make a semi career path out of and uh, and get into?
1: Um, I mean, just purely purely by luck, I must have been surfing, all right. And um, there's a guy called Tad uh, Siastula. And he um, was the founder of uh, the uh, Vitamin C surfboards. And uh, it, I was down Western, I think it was, and he'd I'd just come out of the water. And he'd come up to me and said, Jed, he said, um, do you want to join our team? And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I'm getting a team together. Because um, back in, I can't remember exactly when it was, but uh, Vitamin C started a team, uh, Ocean Magic started a team, and uh, like boardwalk had a team there was lots of teams in yuki and um we used to have like uh competitions and and we planned it so like right tonight is ocean magic the vitamin c and the ocean magic boys would turn up vitamin c boys would turn up and we'd have a mini competition and we had like a league and uh you had um like sea fins boys gary and pete and, and uh there was it was a friendly all you know, get together after work, you know, in the summer, and uh, he, he just said, "Do you want to be in the team?" And I said, um, "What was what? What, what do I? Get, you know, happens with it?" And he says, "Well, you will get a free wetsuit." And I said, "I'm in. I'm in." <laughs> so that was that was the start of it, and I got I must have got competitive because that from that moment on, you know, my surfing changed. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've been lucky. I've had a, a good run. I've got lucky in some events. And, yeah. Yeah, because you got to meet some wonderful people.
0: Yeah, I, I can imagine the the especially sort of like in the seventies, eighties, and maybe the early nineties, the crews that would bounce around all the comps that you know that you would have done. You know, the Cornish, the British, and the Europeans. It would have been yeah. the the same the same people turn up to those competitions that were any good that were going to. Um, you know, do well in those competitions as well.
1: Yeah, there was like, like a, you know, now, nowadays you call it, like, you know, your top sixteen or top thirty surfers, but you you hardcore ones would follow whatever the competitions were. But you know, you turn up a place, you would always have the local good surfers who didn't do all the other competitions. Did you you, know, you always had to be wary. You never took any, anything for granted. You, know, you get a heat sheet and you see your you know, you a name there that you you kind of don't recognise, but you think to yourself, well, you know, don't take nothing for granted. This guy could be, you know, hot of thing. So you always have that in the back of your mind.
0: because yeah, you you won the the Cornish, um, the British uh, surf champs and also the Europeans, didn't you? And you've you've won them all multiple times.
1: Um I've I've been yeah, I won the English Open, you know, the actual Open event. Um, I won the Cornish and Open Championships um, and a few others. And then I started to get old <laughs> because, you know, like 28, you had the seniors and then it was uh, 35 and over. And once I kind of, like, I just kept it, kept it going because I enjoyed meeting up with, you know, competitors that I'd, I'd surf with. And I was... I've been lucky because I, ma- I managed to surf competitively even on the um, the UK Pro Tour. Um, to the uh, I was 60 and I re- I retired when I was 60. So, you know, I, I had a, a good spell at that uh, of the competition era, and I, I was lucky. I I got to surf against you know you in competitions with you know like Tom Carroll and, and guys when they come over for the like the Fosters and that. I managed to make the main event um, like three times, and it, it was it was like a, a buzz being it, it, like say you you were a golfer and you went to a golf competition, you could compete against Tiger Woods for paying just your normal entry fee. it would just be like, oh wow, this is so unbelievable. Well, that's what it was like for us. These guys were coming from Australia, from America, from Hawaii, and to our local break, and we were. Having to be able to get in the water with
0: them and get beat <laughs> yeah it's a bit crazy isn't it and uh i was talking to somebody the other day where uh that they were saying that you know especially from the surf scene as well you kind of look up to those sort of people you know like jerry lopez and your tom carrolls um you know your 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 rabbits and and all those type of people and then you know, being in a situation like like you were, I could imagine you see these guys in the magazines and then you meet them and then you're competing against them as well. That's got to be a special type of feeling as well, isn't
1: it? Yeah, and, and what people forget is these guys, they're just like us, they're just normal guys and they're, they're lucky in that they've got a skill set and they're, you know, the best in the world. But when you sit down and talk to, you know, over a beer or something like that, you know, or Cornish cream tea on some <laughs> occasions, um, you know, some of the stories they, they tell you. And what is, uh, everyone in the surfing community knows is when you travel, um, uh, you, you end up in a place and all of a sudden somebody will walk out the water and you go, oh, my God, it's whoever. You know, you might not have seen them for like five years or 10 years. And there they are. They're walking out the water and you just have a real, oh, we'll have a beer together later on and stuff like this. And, um, yeah, that's what I like about the surfing community. You can pretty much go anywhere in the world and you'll meet up with somebody or, or somebody who knows somebody else and you, you gain new friends from, the, from that side of it.
0: What were some of the uh, best locations that you, that you managed to surf at as a, as a competitor?
1: Um, or your favourite yeah it's it's kind of a bit hard with competitive side of it because a lot of the time you would turn up somewhere you surf that place whatever it is on the day or the preceding days and then you go away again um, one good example of that is uh, I'd had a really good episode at Thurso and then the following year We drove up, me and Leslie in the van, drove all the way up to the first. So it took us two days to get up there. I'm sat there. It's kind of like offshore. It's about six to eight foot solid. And it's like that dark look to the wave. And I had a real stiff back. And I thought, there's no way I can handle that. I'm going to have to get ready for tomorrow because that's where my heat was going to be. And then it just... Totally changed the next day. It was about three to four foot, onshore, raining. I paddled out in the heat, got knocked out, got back in the van, and drove all the way back again. <laughs> so, but you, you'll go up there another time and spend like a month up there, and you will score incredible waves, and you will have a different, different thing. So my, fav- my favorite waves are normally um, when I'm free surfing somewhere and it can be any, anywhere it can be a two-foot day somewhere or it could be a six-foot day somewhere it's it's if I'm feeling happy and I'm feeling good and I come out in water feeling happy and good that's to me is a good day
0: when did you um first sort of like start getting sponsored and and getting getting money off those did, back in those days when you did get those sponsors as well was it enough for you to travel as well to to compete
1: I was um, lucky. I had. A, I'd like to thank a lot of them because right from Vitamin C, Vitamin C, Ocean Magic. I've got a list of Hawaiian Creation, Hawaiian Islands Creations, uh, Quiver, Fourth, and then uh, you know my wetsuits, my Malcolm uh, snug wetsuits, and then I had Body Glove. And I was lucky to get Pick Up Reef and Solomon. But um, I didn't. I didn't get a lot of money. I, I, I got uh, basically. Um, you know, I, from the time I started uh, being sponsored until I was 60, I pretty much didn't buy any clothes. Um, I didn't buy any wetsuits, um, boards. It, and I kind of worked out roughly how much I was getting in product, et cetera. And then I would then say to myself, right, if I if I'm going on this tour, it's going to cost me that much in petrol to get there and my entry fees and stuff and then there, there may be some like financial help towards that and if I was you know representing Britain or, or England I would uh, be able to you know go to my sponsor and just say look you know I need help I'm, I'm willing to pay for this you know can you help me out on the, the airfare or whatever sort of thing and uh, that's kind of how it worked and I was happy with that you know nowadays there is there is um, um, a a lucrative living for them Um, you know with their sponsorships and also advertising etc this COVID doesn't help anybody it doesn't help the young surfers because you know But I would just say to hang on in there keep keep your levels up because it's going to change, it'll go back, it'll come back and uh, you'll be back out there, hopefully, you know, earn yourself a good living and enjoying yourself.
0: I've got a few conspiracy theories about this, but we'll talk about them a lot later or offline. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, so, people have just got to look after themselves. And if they look after themselves, they look after other people. Um, we, we'll, we'll get through this. Humanity's got through it before. We just want to be around to, to get through it.
0: Yeah unfortunately we've got this thing called uh, social media and the internet which puts a lot of added unforeseen pressure on people that they don't necessarily need um, extra pressures on top of each other as well you know if we didn't hit if we didn't have it we wouldn't be focusing so much on what other people are doing and what aren't we doing and I think Mm. that's what's kind of killing people mentally and physically as well as is been seeing lots of being able to see all over the world what's going on too
1: it um i mean there's a lot of countries out there will be having a lot worse situation than what we are um you know like i say you just gotta um i was lucky when i was in the navy i i did a specialist course on um NBCD nuclear biological chemical defence, and so I was taught about these things, and I was told back in the seventies that, um, you know, that you know you won't get a nuclear war. You know, your main countries won't revert to the nuclear weapons. Um, you're more likely. This is because of forces we trained. You're more likely to get a chemical or biological uh, warfare because um, it makes sense, you can wipe out people and the land is still usable, Hop. whereas if you nuclear your weapons, you wipe out people, you wipe out the country as well. So from that training in those days, when this popped up, I was like, this is biological. It's, it's, we know how it's trans, you know transferred from one, one person to another. If you eliminate those ways it's transferred you will eventually eliminate it. Um, but it's, it's, it's been, obviously, it's affected everyone, hasn't it? Everyone around the world. No, I've never known it. Nobody in, in our lifetime has known anything like this. Maybe if you're, you lived through the Spanish flu uh, and you are that age, you're 100 years old now. Well, no, you'd have to be a lot older than that, wouldn't you? Yeah. Um, but you would have you known what went on then, you know, and I would imagine it's very similar to what, what's going on now
0: yeah i think our lifetimes we we've we've seen so much transition from you know i was on the i was on the tail end of i don't want to say your era because that makes it sound old but you know the um the the media side of things you know i didn't have the internet didn't have a phone you know had a tv had four channels that's that's pretty much it you know so so the the transition and the technology advancement in the last 20 to 30 years has been has been significant and i don't think as as a race of people you know we've been able to evolve with that too much it could be yeah yeah, yeah. but that's probably I
1: mean, no, I, the, the days when we didn't have a telephone didn't have a telly um as you know people nowadays probably think what but I, I remember when we got our first telly when we got our first colour television when we actually got a phone in the house, a phone. Me and Leslie, we used to contact each other by phone box. I I was based at uh, Weymouth, and I would go out to the, the red pillar phone boxes, go out to that phone box. Leslie would go out to her phone box in Plymouth, and we'd have a certain time where we would ring those phone boxes. And that's how we contacted each other
0: yeah i was similar when I, when I met my wife was with the first sort of infancy of um when facebook uh was was coming about and uh, i remember being up in scotland um i was based up at faz lane and our job there was to uh look after after the nukes while they were um, in the uh, in the submarines you know getting changed overall serviced and the only phone we had there was in the top of this tower and it was like a proper do you remember the old dial ones where you put your finger and you click it all the way around yeah. and you let it read it was what it was one of them you had to put
1: the, the coins in
0: no 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 the, 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 this was free yeah uh, that, that was right. you, that was only kind of the only perk but you had to you had to wait your turn whether it was the phone you missus or or to phone back to your mum and you you know you went in there once a day and that was the only comms you really had apart from all the lads together it was uh it's quite crazy really yeah
1: yeah, that was uh, when I did that trip uh, around uh, Africa on Salisbury. Um, we had one phone call when we were in the Indi- Indian Ocean. And that phone call was for two minutes. And that was it. And Leslie drove from Plymouth because you only allowed one number you could ring. So I, 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 I had to ring my mum and dad. And Leslie had to drive from Plymouth down to my mum and dad's and wait wait for the phone call and I felt sorry for her because all I wanted to do was talk talk to Leslie, obviously, because I was in love with her. And um, she got the last sort of like 15 seconds, I think, (laughs) because of my brothers and sisters, my mom, my dad, you know, just like that. uh, But that was it. That's uh, the only phone call, phone contact we had in, I was away for like four or five months, I think it was.
0: That's crazy times really when you go back and think about it. You know, yeah, yeah, anyway, we digressed a little bit here. Um, go, going back to uh, you know, you're talking about your sponsors, and you know, you you got kitted out pretty much for what 40 years, pretty much. Um, in between, you 100. know, in,
1: is it round about that,
0: right. do you reckon? But 20 years, could,
1: yeah, no longer than that because it would have been sort of say, say 1980. Uh, 1990, 2000, 2010, 2000, yeah, 30, 35 years maybe. 35 years, mm. yeah. So yeah. What,
0: when, when you weren't competing, you weren't traveling, um, what did you do for work?
1: Um, I I was in the Navy and obviously come out of the Navy. Um, then I did a bit of, um, I was a panel beater and uh i started doing airbrushing and then i was like doing some surfboards I did, i've done surfboards since 1983 and then um uh, work-wise 1981 i started uh working for a hotel um and um to be i'm still there
0: okay nice. and
1: um, they've been really helpful you know but when i needed time off for contests and stuff because You know, I had a mortgage and my boys, Geoff and Andrew, they were, you know, sort of being brought up and, and you know, when you've got two young kids um, and you're not on good wages and stuff, uh, it it can be, you know, hard, but we're all here. We're all doing right.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Did they get into surfing? Did they follow their dad's footsteps or did they go in another direction?
1: Both. Both of them love surfing. Um, uh, Both of them really good at it. Uh, Jonathan um, came to me one day and he said, "Uh, Dad, he said, "Um, would you mind if I'd started bodyboarding? I said, no. And he said, oh, good. He says, because I really want to go with my mate. And we go, you know, they go to a certain place to go bodyboarding. And I said, yeah, yeah, fine. And so he went to bodyboarding then, and then he went into snowboarding. He loves snowboarding. He currently is in America at the moment and uh, lives over there. He's an American citizen. And um, Andrew used to hate water. Uh, to to you put him in a bath, he used to scream his head off. And now he's he's like ringing me up, Dad. You do you, want, are you coming down? I'm going for a wave. I'm going to go such and such. So I have a really good sort of uh, you know sort of. With my, with my son, we go out to, well, we went out to Watergate the other day, two of us, perfect conditions as well. You know, you know, when I texted
0: you, Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, was,
1: it was, yeah, it was really good. Yeah. Beautiful. But that just shows you, I went out there and uh, on the main peak where everyone was, and I knew all the boys out there, um, I thought, I looked and I thought, I'm not going to get away here. Um, they're just like in on that level above me now so um i moved down to a peak bit further down and i you know i had one or two all right ways but the whole session the ways were perfect but i came in um i i hadn't had a really good time but i still enjoyed it um, yeah i
0: thought we were talking about just getting out there and just being in the water is just sometimes enough isn't it yeah yeah um with the uh with the compete inside of things as well you said you um you've competed all the way up to the uh up to the age of sixty what made you what made you want to stop and just you know make it more of a recreational thing
1: um, leslie <laughs> she i i i was i was doing the tour and then uh, at the at the end of the year um Dave uh, Reid, who who runs the tour, they have this uh, big presentation, like, you know, who's won this and won that. And they had the um, most inspirational uh, surfer award for the tour. And um, I was lucky enough to pick that up. And and kind of like afterwards, Leslie said, do you want to carry on? Because I I never went to events kind of think, well, I'm going to win this, I'm going to win this. I kind of like just went, like, here, Ty, and, you know, if I can get through this heat, like this, and if I'm lucky enough, i get through, and sometimes i would end up in, like, a, a quarterfinal or something like that, and I think, well, you know, I might get lucky, and uh, that's how I did the, like, the pro tour. Um, and um, it, she said, do you want to, you know, sort of end up being knocked out in new first heat? every time that type of thing. I thought, no, no, I don't want to do that, but it was hard. It took me, took me about three years to get contest mentality out of my head. I, and the boys will say, I've not been down to a contest now um, since I was, uh, well, I'm 67 now. So I haven't been to a contest in like seven years. Because, especially those first two or three years, I know if I turned up at the contest, um, you know, would be going, Oh, Jed, you, you're going in this, so are you going to do this? And I'd I have gone, Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you see what I mean, because in my mind, <clears throat> I still wanted to do it. But um, I now go out for a surf and I enjoy it for like when I first started surfing, enjoy it just for the being in the water, the, the feeling of, one thing I really miss is I wear contact lenses and I wear them in the surf now. But in the early days, I used to duck dive underneath the wave and just look up through and see all the bubbles and, and, and stuff as you come popping up through the other side. I really miss that because I, when I duck dive now, I have to keep my eyes closed, otherwise I'll lose my lenses. So you're, you're like going down to this darkness and you're coming up and then pop up. I miss that. That's one thing I do miss. But um, Yeah i still right.
0: enjoy certain <laughs> yeah there's got to be a point no way you um you know like you say where you kind of go you, you spent your most of your adult life competing and and doing that you, you know you obviously enjoyed it um but like you say you don't want to get to a point where you're starting to lose heats and not enjoy it so much because then you know you just kind of you might get that mentality and your wife's probably right with saying it, where you go, I'm not enjoying this anymore, I'm not going to do it. And that would be such a shame to lose that, wouldn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I went to, the first contest I went back to was, um, we have one uh, down at Spikes Memorial, Um, uh, Tony Good's brother. And um, it's to you know, commemorate his, his life, and the, all the boys from Brighton come down, and they have like their own little contest, and then we have our contest side by side. They they come in that as well, um, and it's just a good friendly get together. Um, I went down to that. I didn't go in it, um, but I judged it, and uh, it was good to see everyone down there and watch some of the youngsters coming on, and you know how they're doing now, sort of thing. So,
0: yeah. How do you see the uh, the surf scene now, from when you first started to um, to where it now is presently? I mean, you must have you've obviously seen a lot of changes um, in the in the surf scene in the UK and around the world. You know, what what do do you think it's a good thing that's happening now, where you know people are identifying it as um, a good sport, and escapism, a good way to travel around the world. Competitions are now you know all over the TV and stuff. Do you think it's a
1: good thing? um uh, yeah yeah it it doesn't matter whether it's the contest side of things or whether it's the free surfing i mean you've got this wave pool built at bristol now um i've been up to it two or three times i think you know it's man-made it's incredible what they've done absolutely incredible that is going to enc- if you live in the bristol area and you've got that on your doorstep, you can go there in midsummer, and you'd be riding you know, two to three foot waves, and it's there, it's mechanical. Um, you will progress, you will get better. It, it will help our com- competitive surfers, um, because they've got, you know you know what the ocean's like, it, one day it's you know, one foot, next day it's four foot, and then it's back to one foot, it could be onshore, whereas there you've got this mechanical thing going. And there's talk of more of them, so you've got that element coming into it. The only thing is, is our coastline. We've only got a certain amount of coastline, and you go down to any any of the beaches nowadays, and uh, got you know two hundred surfers out there is you know, the norm. You know, and you've got to go out there and try and get your way. So, if people realise that, they're coming. They're they're learning it through that. They. If you're learning now, you, you, that is what you see. You know, there's, it's normal to have two, 200 people out there. We regressed back to the 70s when maybe 10 or 20 years out, and there was space for everyone. You, know, you let people have waves, they would let you have waves. Um, but if you're brought up nowadays, it's, it's going to be more competitive. Um, it, it's got to be, otherwise you won't, won't catch waves. And if you realise you go out there and instead of having, you know, ten, fifteen waves, you're only going to get maybe two to four waves on a good day, accept it because that's that's the way it is. That's why we were saying about them days where you turn up and there's only a couple of years in there and even for half an hour, enjoy it because uh, that's your moment.
0: <laughs> yeah, those days are far and few. I mean it's it's sad it's not is it sad to say? It is sad to say those days are far and few between but you know as uh as the old cliche goes the early bird gets the worm and all that sort of thing yeah
1: but those two hundred surfers in the water every single one of them will be wanting that stoke that feeling you know it's no different to me when i paddle out i want to catch waves and 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 have that feeling they want to have that then what waves and have that feeling and i
0: don't blame it because it's it's a it's an absolutely wonderful sport life lifestyle it is I mean, an amazing insane. lifestyle it, uh, yeah mm-hmm. it's, it's definitely I, I still still promote it now as well you know I, even when i i have people come and talk to me about it because you know a lot of people know that i surf marines being well you're, you know been in being in the navy yeah. previously that being in the marines is quite a small knit community um serving and non-serving as well um i get a lot of people come and speak to me about it and say you know how can we get involved in competitions is there a club and and all that sort of thing you know and and i get i get something out of talking to them too i can get sidetracked for a couple of hours you know like we're talking now just just Mm -hmm. talking about surfing and i don't think you know you can you can really do that um because there's so many different directions, boards, board shapes, fins, waves, where you've been traveling. There's so much to talk about and there's so much um, familiarity and people can identify with that. And and I think that's, what's unique about surfing as well. Uh,
1: I agree. I agree. It is. And what I like about it is you is over the years, the, the friends that, built up and, and anyone starting off now is going to do the same they're going to turn up on their beach and they'll find somebody else who's, you know in the white water they'll start off and they're having a good time and then they'll get together afterwards at the beach and then you know years later they've met a few more people and that that's going to be the continuation of the surfing community isn't it and, and that's happening all around the world so you know you're just going to get more surfers. There, there's still the same amount of surf breaks out there that that's never going to change unless our you know, sort of uh, coastline changes um so we've just got to get used to the crowds and and live together as they say
0: are you uh, still involved with the surf industry still at the moment
1: um i've always kind of kept myself away from it um you know but I've been asked to uh say for instance teach um I I I didn't want to lose my enthusiasm for actually surfing um and me personally um you know I'm not a teacher like that I you know I I taught myself and um I taught myself from watching other Surfers around me and what they were doing, and asking them, and um, you know, I gradually you know, watch my my heroes sort of thing, you know, my local heroes, and like in the early days, like Andrew Simmons and Steve Daniels and, and guys like that, and watch the way they surfed and try to think, well, you know, I'll pick up on that, and then watch surf movies and things, um, <clears throat> and gradually it got me to where where I was
0: do you find uh the there was much like technical aspect you know what i'll rephrase the question technique is quite a pinnacle point these days you know you've got a lot of surf coaches especially with the kids and and now with the WSL was the asp you know, people are looking at the pros and they've got trainers and, and, and technicians that tell them, you know, where to put their arms or where the compression extension and all that sort of really technical um, side of the skill for surfing comes in. D- did you ever start to recognize that or when did you start to recognize that a little bit more um, as you developed in your surfing career?
1: Um, <coughs> probably too late. Because like I <laughs> Same say, with me. kind of like yeah, I kind of like taught myself, and then when it when it got to a point where you started to get surf coaches, that um, um, it, it was I I probably had too many bad habits. Um, I was you know in the latter latter years of, of the contest side of things, and um, but you know I remember there was a South African uh, came over and he he told me about um, the the compression. And there was one thing, bad habit, he said, pick me up on it." I would take off and then I would say, hit, hit the lip and come back down. And then I'd like momentarily like stand there as much to say, wow, look at that, you know, and then I would go into my next move and he said, get that out. It's a bad habit. He says, just do it. Get it all flowing. Go from that maneuver down through the next move and, and but, you know, I wish I'd known that 20 years ago <laughs> in, in, in the early days. But the, the coaches nowadays, um, uh, do, you know, do, they, they're they on it. They, they, they know about things like your diet and, and, like, the mechanics of the body. And then, you know, each surfer is an individual. And, you know, you, you've got one surfer. He's not going to be like a Kelly Slater. You know, Mick Fanning isn't like Kelly Slater, but they're two of the world-class surface and they will have different dynamics that have different styles and it's a, a a good coach will pick up on uh, their student and encourage them to to bring that incorporate that into their style because when you sit down and you're in front of judges judges ultimately look at you know the not only just the maneuver but the way you've you've created that manoeuvre and where you've then moved on to the next manoeuvre and uh and, and if, if somebody is dynamic and flowing um as opposed to somebody who's just like bang does you know dynamic one manoeuvre um they will they will look at and, and judge them on obviously it depends on that manoeuvre as well they've just done an insane manoeuvre they'll get a 10 but um that's what coaches are doing and they're, they'll focus them mentally as well because the, as you know in, in competitive surfing to be a competitive surfer you have to have that competitive mindset as well and and if you're you're down there how to pick yourself up to get you through that heat or, or whatever you know things you need to do
0: this brings us on um, really nicely to the uh last couple of things that i'd like to go on to um so i have got some viewer questions you probably saw on instagram that i put some viewer questions up for people to ask i've got four of them here for you uh the first (laughs) one is from ewan who's from langdenith and he he says do you watch the wsl events and what do you think of the new wsl format that's come out
1: uh, yes, I do. I've, I've watched um, it from the early, its conception all the way through, you know, when it was Day SP, um, right, and way through to its new format. Um, it, it seems to me um, it's being driven now, obviously, um, they wanted it televised and they're trying to bring it into this uh, so, so people have heroes and they support their heroes. And uh, it, it, there's a, that's the way it's going to go you know, whether we like it or not, that they, these these stars now are gonna be, you know, superstars of the future. And and the more people in the world that are surfing, the more people, it's like um you know, your football, your golf, any any big, your tennis, you were gonna have these guys at the top of the tree. And it'd be harder for you like now, um, for somebody to get up to that level it's such a long road and it's so hard to get there uh, you just do not realize how many you know you turn up at a place Like say puerto rico we watched um you know 10 year olds going in the water and they were just like shredding they were they were re- meter me to pieces um so for for like our boys over here um it You know, think of the world stage, you know, if you want to be there, you know, like Russell Winter did, you've you've got to really work at it. You might have the talent, but listen to your coaches, spend the time in the water, do the traveling, and then, you know, you'll get there.
0: Uh, Next question is a girl from Australia uh, by Sydney called Salt Siren. And she has asked, what is your, what was your greatest wipeout? Do you remember
1: uh, I remember it well. Um, we, we turned up at a spot, um, local reef break, take special conditions for it to work. Um, it was uh, late seventies. Um, we was stood there and this guy turned up and we looked at it. He drove off come back about 20 minutes later, and we talked each other into going out. We paddled out, um, it's a reef break. And I was looking at it as I'm paddling out, and thinking this is bigger than what I thought it was. And uh, so we sat, got round to the peak. I took off on, on the first wave and just made it. I didn't, you know, didn't do anything. I just thought I've made it. That gave me confidence, took off on the second wave, had this intense barrel, to one of the best barrels to this day I've ever had, come screaming out, the guy is like hooting, I'm, I'm, I'm on it now, I'm fully, I'm into it. The next wave comes through, took off, and I just felt like I'm going down and the wave is moving up fast and I'm going down. And I just got pitched, went straight over, hit the reef, and I couldn't control any part of my body. I was just being pulled and torn and ripped. Bang! I felt the reef again. Luckily, not my head, but my suit got literally torn with where it hit the barnacles and stuff. And I eventually got washed over the reef and round to the side. I just grabbed my board and paddled in. I thought, like, God, just have one of my best barrels in my life, followed by one of my worst wipeout. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a wipeout.
0: I know plenty more. <laughs> yeah imagine it's always the way though isn't it you have a have a good session and then it just takes one thing to be in the wrong place at the wrong time and yeah that that, that that's it
1: that was a three wa- three wave session <laughs> yeah <Literally, three waves. laughs> but they were
0: good though oh uh, yeah okay cool so i'm going to finish off on a quick fire round if that's okay um so the first one is if you could have one fin setup for the rest of your life, would it be single fin, twin fin, quad, bonzer, or thruster? Thruster. Favorite surfer and why? Favorite surfer. Out of all the surfers
1: in the world, I mean, I've got the surfer. Slater.
0: Can you
1: say it?
0: And you don't need to say why.
1: <laughs> oh, he's just, he's Kelly Slayer. <laughs>
0: exactly. Uh, the last surfing film you watched?
1: Last surfing film? Um, well, I watch a lot on um, um, uh, YouTube. The last one, I think, was uh, Nazaire, or, or maybe that wave in uh, Um Yeah. Oh, I shouldn't... I shouldn't have said that, should I? You know, that wave, the, that was, um, what was his name? Connor? I, I, Con you've got, you got to have balls to ride that wave and it, 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 that was a wave of a lifetime. That was incredible, that was to yeah.
0: you. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of good edits out of that one. Um, the 1st surf self-film you've ever watched?
1: 1st surf self-film? Uh, we used to drive to watch them because um, they used to be actual movies. So you went into like a like a, a school hall or a, um, like an old church or something like that, and they'd have the old projector, and you all be sat there like a movie. And then they'd show the show the films. So it would, it would have been the like the the early films, um, like um, five. Excuse me, five. Is it Five Summers and films like that? I always remember one because we. We went up to Exeter to watch it, drove up from Plymouth, and um, we got there. We are watching this film. It's called Forgotten Island and Santosha. and it's about these guys trying to find this wave, and eventually find this wave. When they were, like, panning over the sort of surrounding area, I was like, I looked at it and I thought, we've just been there. I we've just surfed there. And they're going, Jen, no, no way, you haven't been there. Oh, literally, we have just been there. It's uh, one of the islands in the Indian Ocean. And uh, it was like... Yeah, so if anybody want to watch a good, a good old film, it uh, ends up at uh, this left-hand, a uh, wreath uh, break. Incredible way. But, um yeah, it's called Forgotten Island of Santosha.
0: I'll be looking that one up in a bit. <laughs> yeah. Um What would be your dream surf trip?
1: Um my dream surf trip would be to go with uh obviously leslie and my boys joff and andrew get to into maldives because um, there's left sand rights there, so andrew would be happy and uh joff would be happy as well
0: good choice i like the maldives too Mm -hmm. jed stone thank you for talking to me on the grumpy surfer podcast it's been an absolute pleasure and there was a lot of stories there that i'm gonna stew on later i think
1: (laughs) cool enjoyed it
0: No, no worries cheers mate thank you very much if you're enjoying the podcast please like share and subscribe on your podcast provider and also go to instagram and follow the grumpy surfer thanks for listening